As we begin the Advent season, we focus our hearts and minds on a place far, far away, not just in distance, but also in time. I don't know about you, but I think about the manger, and I conceive several different sites, but I have to realize the reality of that place was not silence, but noise. Jesus came into the world in a place that was going through a government census. Now think about that. Next year we'll be having the census, and they'll be knocking on your door, asking you uncomfortable questions, and that's exactly what they were doing. They were gathering in their hometown, the town of their birth, uh, to have a census. Yet through all of that and through the, the seeming uh, madness of the moment, God was giving to the world the gift that had been promised for so long. I don't know how you're living this season, but I hope you're living with hope. So many people allow so many things to distract them from the blessed hope. And we can't do that. I'd be delighted to know that we all had that hope that was focused on Him. And there was no doubt whatsoever what the Lord would give us. But many people get discouraged this time of year. And we need to be aware of that. We need to have hope, sort of like that little boy that was out at the ball field. And he was playing on his little league team. And the guy walked up, and he saw the boy sitting there, and, and he looked up, and he said, Goodness, y'all are in trouble. Eighteen to nothing. Aren't you discouraged? And the little boy looked up and said, Heck no. He said, We didn't even got up to bat yet. <laughs> we need to have that kind of hope because God has gone up to bat for us, and he won. And because of that, we can be victorious. You know, the discouraging thing in life, and this has been a tough week because to see two amazing saints of God that served this church in such a remarkable way for many years have gone on to glory. And, it, and it's difficult to look and know where Pete Edwards sat and know where Ken Roberts sat and, and understand they're not coming back. I like the way it was put by a member of my church years ago who was well past the age of people preaching. And Dr. Woody preached up until he died at 95. And he said this. He said, when you're a Christian, you don't die, you graduate. And that's true. So therefore, their worship is more real than ours can ever be. Their hope is fulfilled Everything that they believed in and trusted in has come to fruition in their eyes. It was there all along. But we've got to have the reality that, that God loves us in such a magnificent way. Why should we be discouraged? We shouldn't. Romans 15, 4, and I'll read it back from the NIV, says, For everything that was written in the past was written to teach us so that through the endurance taught in the Scriptures and the encouragement they provide, we might have hope. Look at the past. The Israelites looked back to the Red Sea crossing. They looked at, at God's providential care for them, the, the providing of the manna, 
the water from the rock, all the, the wonderful things that God did. When they walked into the promised land, they walked across a river that was parted and it was dry, just like the ocean that they came across the Red Sea leaving Egypt. God is not bothered by any encumbrance in this world. He made this world. He can do what he wants to do with this world. And here's what's amazing. He loves us. He loves us. So I don't know what you're struggling with today, but hope offers you gifts. And I want to share four of those gifts with you this morning because I believe that these gifts give us a reason to celebrate and to share. Because so often people are silent about their faith. I know... um, One of the worst phrases in the English language is Black Friday. Did you survive Black Friday okay? I know know of one member of this church that loved Black Friday, and that's O'Hare. That was one of his first words that he learned. and he, He could tell them Black Friday comes right after Thanksgiving, and it did. Thankfully, we don't have Black Friday here like some people do. We don't have people killing one another over over a television set. But we have something better than what they offer in the stores. The first gift that we're given is this, that hope causes rejoicing. Do you understand where where singing and rejoicing comes from? Rejoicing is the thermometer that shows the amount of hope that you possess. If you can rejoice, that means that you have within you an understanding of, of what God has done. And you'll never lose touch with that. One of my favorite writers is G.K. Chesterton, and he said it this way. He said, hope means hoping when things seem hopeless to others, or it is of no virtue whatsoever. As long as matters are really hopeful, hope is mere flattery or platitude if good things are happening. He said, why should you hope? But he said, it is only when everything is hopeless that hope begins to give you strength. It's that individual who has no evidence before them to believe, but they believe because not what's before them, but what's in their heart has changed them. And that's the important thing about this week of hope. Go through this week and celebrate what God has done in your life and realize He's not finished with you yet. He's just begun Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to, to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you hope and a future. Now I want to tell you, this is not talking about prosperity in a financial way. Because that would be less than a value to the Christian. Money comes and goes. A friend of mine told me one time, he said, You know, money talks, it generally says bye-bye to me. But money comes and goes. There's some things that are more valuable than money. And that's why when when God spoke to the people there through Jeremiah the prophet, what he meant was, I'm going to bless you beyond any calculable ability of a human to ever estimate what I'm going to do. I'm going to give you that which is supernatural. And I I don't believe until we get to heaven we'll really know the times that God has intervened on our behalf. I don't think we can begin to imagine that. 
or the God that loves us, is not like anyone else. He's a God of hope. The second gift, gift we're given is that hope causes purity. Now, what I mean by that is from 1 John 3, it says, Behold, what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us, that we should be called the sons of God. Think about that. That's your name. Therefore, the world knoweth us not, because it knew him not. It says, Beloved, now we are the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we will know him when we shall appear, and we'll be like him. Pete Edwards and Ken Roberts don't look anything like they did here. But we'll know them when we get to heaven. Their destiny has been fulfilled now. They are like Christ. They have a pure worship. If you remember last Sunday, Ken Roberts came down here and, and offered our prayer over the offering. He was here Tuesday night. It, and he was in the chapel as we studied. And everything seemed to be fine. But God had other plans. And he got him safely home ever so quickly. Ever so quickly. Less than 12 hours, he went from earth and the book was closed here. And it was opened beautifully there for him at noon yesterday. God is so gracious. God is so good. And that's what he will do. And he will purify us and prepare us for heaven forever. And I'm so glad that we can trust in that. The faith that Jesus is going to come any moment motivates us. If you don't first go to him, he's going to come to you. How wonderful is that? We will never, ever, ever be left alone. The third gift is that hope lessens sorrow. You know, death can hide, but it cannot divide you. Death is a promotion for the saints. It, it does not end the effectiveness of our lives. Pete Edwards will always have an impact on this church because he had an impact on many of the members here. Ken Roberts did. I remember listening to some of the young adult men in our church and in one conversation away from church in an event, one of them looked at the other one and he said, who's teaching in the Maverick Sunday? And they said, Mr. Ken Roberts. They said, wow, I'm coming. I love to hear about Revelation. I told Melba yesterday, I said, after, after your sweet husband got through worshiping before Jesus and embracing his mom that he missed so much, I said, he's cornered St. John and said, now I want you to tell me everything you remember about the Isle of Patmos and what the vision was. I promise you that. He loved the book of Revelation. And now he's got the best seat to watch it play out. God blesses us in that way. He lessens our sorrow. You know, funerals are funny. I think it was Mark Twain that said, no matter how famous or wealthy you are, the size of your funeral will depend on whether the weather is bad the day you're buried. And that's true. 
That's true. I read this the other day, and this is kind of sad, but it's the world we live in. Do you know that one of the career opportunities for someone unemployed today, uh, and I found this on the site of jobmonkey.com. I don't know if you're, not, if you're not familiar with that. You need to be. But you know what one of the great jobs in America is today that you can do quickly? Be a professional mourner. I think, no, really, I'm serious. In Jesus' time, they had professional mourners. And right now, in about 62 countries, that is a, a very viable career. Job Monkey says this, if you do find this job, it'll pay from $30 to $120 a, a, a funeral. And they said funerals typically last two to three hours. And uh, you can do two funerals a day if you want to and have a good income. The only problem is it's insincere. You don't know the person. But some people actually worry about that, and they, they actually pay for people to come to their funeral because they think that somehow that makes a difference. Dear people, let me tell you something. It's not what's down here on earth that will make the difference. It's what's going on in eternity that makes the difference. And people are so concerned about that. I even know, I have some friends in Atlanta that actually have an insurance policy to provide flowers in case they don't have any friends that will bring flowers to their funeral, as if that matters. Oh, how we need to worry about our eternity and not what people think of us down here on earth. We have a glorious hope that lets go of the, of the, the bonds that hold to us here and will free us to understand what we can be in eternity. But lastly this, hope is the anchor of our soul. It is the anchor of our soul. As the anchor does not stay in the waters, but enters the ground hidden beneath the waters and fastens in it, so hope, our anchor, is not satisfied with merely coming to the entry point with merely earthly and visible goods, but it penetrates deep into the holy of holies to hold us fast with that thing of God that changes us, to let us know that we're linked forever with Him. In the darkest moment, we will not be afraid. Hope makes our soul, our mind, will, and our emotions firm and secure. It's an anchor that cannot be moved. It preserves you through the beating waves of life and all the tumultuous sadness as you may go through. You always have that anchor holding to you. Jesus, Jesus is our hope. He doesn't show us the way. He himself is the way. He doesn't just give us some truth. He is truth to us, totally and absolutely. He doesn't just give us life. He himself becomes our life and our sustainer. Circumstances can change. People will change. Situations will change in a moment. But Jesus never changes. One night at a dinner, I was listening to a group of men share about where they had served in ministry. They were both missionaries that had worked in the United States in the North American, uh, mission, for the North American Mission Board. 
And one of them shared about the, the ministry he had in the area of Maine. And he's an older gentleman, and he'd been up there for many years back when New England was really a, a, a vibrant place for the Baptist church. And he told about a community he was in that was right next to a community that existed one time called Flagstaff, Maine. I thought that was in Arizona, but apparently there was one in Maine. And he said that that was a very vital town until about 1936. And in 1936, the U.S. government decided that they needed to get the control of the water there to build a hydroelectric dam to create energy or electricity for the people there. They were buying it from, from Canada and from, from some other areas, and they just didn't want to do that anymore. And so they basically paid the people for their community, bought from the private owners, and then set a date that that area would be flooded. They built the dam. They did not touch anything until 1948. Now, here's what's sad. They said that from about 1945, when they gave the announcement for the date that they would have to evacuate their homes, from 1945 until 1948, not a house was painted in that city. Not a yard was raked. Not a bush was trimmed. Nothing was updated. And they said, literally, it was, it was crumbling apart, and things were falling apart. And you would ask a citizen why he's doing that in his home that he loved, and they'd say, well, why repair it when it's going to be wiped out? Why care about that? And this missionary said, where there is no faith in the future, there is no power in the present. He said they lost the vision of who they were. They were biding their time. They didn't see beyond 1948. They didn't see the traditions of the people back then. And they let everything fall apart. This Sunday of Hope is important because we are people of faith. And we know we're not going to be on this earth forever. But our hope lies far beyond this world. The longer I'm here, the more I realize when I look through the directories of this church over the years that the congregation that I had when I came here in 2010, many of them are in heaven waiting on me. And I can't wait to be with them. But until then, we cannot leave our lives untended and the work undone. For when I look at empty pews, I look at future members, boys and girls that will walk down this aisle and sit on these steps and, and hopefully pay attention when they go to children's church and, and they'll find out that Jesus does love them. Not just everybody in general, but them in particular. And that he died on the cross for them. And suddenly it will be personal and they'll be changed because the Holy Spirit will convict them of sin and convict them of the reality of the hope that they have. So as much as I like to look back and think about those that I've enjoyed for a decade, I look forward and the work goes on and we are not going to drown. We're going to be saved. And we've got to be diligent and we cannot slow down. We've got to understand the importance of the work that we do. 
So truly hope is what we're all about. May we remain in that focus. Let us pray. Father, I ask that you would just speak to us this morning and prepare our hearts for the Advent season. And no more appropriate time is it than this Sunday for us to observe the Lord's Supper. That our hearts would be prepared for you, Lord. That we would hear your voice and would be obedient when you call. For Lord, you're, you're asking some people this morning to respond to that which they put off forever. There are people here that you've spoken to through your Holy Spirit and asked them to come and to believe, and yet they haven't. They've said, I'll do it later, not right now. But God, I pray that you would speak to them and give them the courage of their faith to make that move even in this moment. And if their decision is salvation... May they come forward and proclaim that boldly. If they need to come and be baptized or join this church, God lead them. Whatever the situation, I pray that they would be obedient. And in this time of invitation, their choice would be made. Father, speak to someone even now. For it's in your name we pray. Amen.